0: So we're going to be in the book of Zephaniah today. Just a reminder, when we do the Lord's Supper, they're going to come back in uh, so that they are able to see and uh, be a part of the partaking of the sacrament. Even though many of them have never professed faith in Christ uh, publicly and are not going to partake, we want them to be able to be a Uh, to be able to see and uh, maybe even ask questions as to what we're doing. That's why we bring them back in. Uh, It's great gospel opportunities for us uh, to explain those things to our kids. So Zephaniah is a prophet, uh, and he is writing right before uh, Babylon comes in. Maybe maybe not right before, but about 40 years before Babylon uh, comes in and takes over, uh, fully conquers the people of the southern kingdom, Uh, in Judah. And uh, their unfaithfulness, the unfaithfulness of the nations really is a great litmus test for us. Uh, I was thinking, how many different ways can we talk about judgment and make it palatable or understandable or something that's going to challenge us? Um, And uh, so today, uh, not that judgment itself is palatable, but why is God speaking these things to us? Why would he over and over, in the prophets speak these things, uh, maybe because we ought to listen and we need to hear it. So uh, let's stand as we uh, hear the word of God out of uh, the word of the Lord to the prophet Zephaniah, uh, and we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 2. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, O shameless nation. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do, ju- who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, the land of of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The, she- the seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze. And in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening, for the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes." I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boast against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall be like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall shall possess them this shall be their lot in return for their pride because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts the Lord will be awesome against them for he will famish all the gods of the earth and to him shall uh, and to him shall bow down uh, each in its place all the lands of the nations and you O Cushites Shall be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, and he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog, shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lived securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. We're going to continue into chapter 3, where God turns his attention to his own people, Judah. Woe to her, who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring roaring lions. Her judges are, are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets So that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more, they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. This is the word of the Lord to us by the prophet Zephaniah. Let's pray. Father, I ask that by your word and by your spirit, that we would hear what you have for us. The words you spoke to the people centuries ago, uh, God, in the midst of their context and th- their history of rebellion, God, you spoke to them, but what do you, would you have for us to hear from those words that you spoke there? God, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray, God, that your character would be on display, that you would be the one that is lofty and lifted up and glorious this morning. And Father, when we see that, that we would just be brought to that place of humility. Father, please do that for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So with all the litigation in our culture of people suing for all sorts of reasons and, uh, and, and different things, there's a contest now called the wacky warning label contest of all the ridiculous things that people have to put on labels of products so that they don't get sued okay Uh, you know maybe a kid's lightsaber right a little toy uh a kid's toy uh and the warning label on it was you know for accessory use only not to be used as a battle device really Okay, Um, you know, in case you needed that, how about this one? You may be be a coffee drinker. You know, do not hold over people. (laughs) Hot coffee, probably a good rule to follow. What about this one? I might not be able to read it. It's a little bit small. But uh, this feature, uh, this feature is intended uh, basically the silence feature. You know, when the alarm's going off and you hit the button, Okay, The silence feature is intended to temporarily silence the horn while you identify and correct the problem. It will not correct a CO2 problem or extinguish a fire. There's other gems like, you know, on a t-shirt, do not iron this shirt while you're wearing it. And anyway, I... I there's a lot of them. They're ridiculous. But why do we have to be warned over these things? You know, there's so much warning out there that warnings even don't even mean warnings anymore. We read this stuff. We chuckle. We look at all these labels. It's like, this is nonsense that we don't even heed warnings anymore. We ignore them with the utmost ease. But what if we actually encounter one that we should pay attention to? You know, that's actually important, but yet we're used to just ignoring uh, warnings. uh, We ignore them to our own peril. And throughout the Minor Prophets, I think that's what God is doing. He is warning his people, Judah and Israel. He's warning the nations. What does a life lived outside of his lordship, what does it lead to, and what does it invoke from him? What's his response to a life lived outside of the will of God and a life that we would call rebellious against him or maybe even on our own terms? Well, here's God's warning, and he's warning of his coming wrath. That God's reaction to sin is not, you know... I'll give you another chance. It's okay. You know, everybody struggles. You know, everybody, you know, just everybody's got their stuff. Now, God is patient. You know, at times I'm amazed how patient he is. If you're a parent, you understand patience, right? And God is, you know, exponentially more patient with us in our sin. yet, there will be a day, we looked at it last week, when his patience is no more. So don't presume his patience over your sin as permission or approval. We talked about that last week. Because what do we see in verse 2 is the coming wrath of God. God describes it as the day of the anger of the Lord. Talks about it as the burning anger of the Lord. Repeat it again in verse 3. The day of the anger of the Lord. And what he is saying is before that day comes... Before that day comes, God wants us to actually listen and hear. Not just with our ears, but with our heart. Before that day comes upon you, because it is coming. What is God's reaction to sin? So, uh, you know, you can follow along. I'm going to just trace really quick through. It's not going to be on the screen. But hear all of these words, this is God's reaction against the sin of mankind. Verse 4. The word shows up that they will be deserted, there will be desolation, they will be driven out, they will be uprooted. Verse 5, there will be no inhabitants left. Verse 7, their land shall shall become the possession of another people, his people. Verse 9, these places, Moab and Ammon, they will be like Sodom and Gomorrah, basically wiped off the planet. They will become a wasteland forever. Verse 11, the Lord will be awesome, but not just awesome, but awesome against these people. God has famished all other gods. Verse 12, these people will be slain. We wish it says the sword, but God says they will be slain by my sword. That this is God moving against sin. Verse 13, there's the word destroy, desolation again, a dry waste like a desert. Verse 14, they will be overrun by wild animals, devastation, they will be laid bare. Do you see a trend? Verse 15, desolation again. The people will hiss at these people as they walk by. Then he moves to his own covenant people. Verse uh, 3, chapter 3, verse 6, uh, you know, speaking of ones, uh, kinda, it, it, he actually does get back to the nations here, but that they'd be cut off, they would be in ruins, they would be laid waste, desolate again, without inhabitant. Verse 8, they would be seized like prey, poor, God would pour out his indignation, his burning anger, they would be consumed. How does God respond to sin is not in a light manner. God hates it. In his holiness, he vehemently moves against it. He decisively moves against it, and oftentimes he describes it the day of the anger of the Lord. That is not how the United States likes to talk about God, right? We love the idea God is love, and he is But do not miss the completeness and the magnitude of who God is. And so these passages, in their starkness, they wash over us. Why? So that we would expand our understanding of who God is. Because oftentimes we live with this truncated view of God. In a sense, instead of God creating us in his image, we return the favor. That we create God in our image. God that we like. You know, so if, if your understanding of God, if the understanding of the scriptures doesn't press on your understanding of God in some way, like, man, that pushes on my sensibilities. If, if this is not pushing you in some way that as you read the scriptures, have you created God in your image rather than he you? Because oftentimes we live with this truncated view of God that doesn't match what the Bible says teaches. We live with something so small. It's often easy to not have an accurate view of things until your eyes are opened. So yesterday, uh, Linda and I went to Augusta National Golf Course. Whoop. Okay, uh, the final—it ra- wasn't the Masters, but it was the final round of the women's amateur tournament. Basically, the best high school and college players uh, in uh, the world actually came uh, from 24 different countries and competed. Uh, and they did the final round of this tournament yesterday. And uh, so I'd been there a couple times, and I just wanted Linda to experience and see Augusta National. And uh, and so we were driving there, and uh, Linda really had no idea what she was walking into. Uh, if you've never been there, you have no idea what you would walk into. On the way to the course, she goes, oh, I forgot my hand sanitizer. <laughs> okay, sorry. You know how true that is if you know her. Um, and she's like, huh? Uh, I'm like, what, why are we talking hand, about hand sanitizer? She goes, you know, at golf tournaments, they set up those those porta-potties. You know, nice ones because we've gone to some major U.S. Open tournaments. You know, nice porta potties. And I said, "Baby, we're not going to see any porta potties at the Masters." And uh, she's like, "Really? You know, how different can this course be? How different can this experience be from other golf tournaments?" And then you come around the corner and you open up into the most lush, manicured grass you've ever seen in your life, uh, and you walk around, and it's this all inspiring experience. It's kind of like Disney World meets golf, and uh, everybody's saying hi to you, and everything's perfect, and it's one thing to walk in and think you know what Augusta National's going to be, and then you walk in and experience it, and you're like, oh, I had no idea and when we, when we think we understand what God is, it's kind of like us walking in with this really small view, and then you walk in, and you're like, oh, right on. <laughs> I had no idea. Why are the minor prophets written? Is because we have no clue, oftentimes, the completeness and the magnitude of our God, how much greater He is Than we can fathom how uh, how he is far more expansive than you and I know that you ought not think you have God figured out. He does reveal himself to us; he does make himself known. But if we think that makes us experts on who he is, that we have his complete character and in our understanding, we're missing something. That we. Oftentimes, in judgment and wrath, is one of those places. The American church doesn't talk about it. And so we have this, this really skewed view of who God is. And so I think that's why the minor prophets, one of the reasons they were written, they were written to warn us against our sin, but it was also to expand our understanding of who God is. Because to know God, then you start to rightly know yourself. So, that, you know, how does God respond against sin? Well, what is man's propensity towards it, towards sin? Uh, you know, what is our inclination? The things we tend to do is uh, expounded in this passage. Uh, it's really interesting in uh, how this plays itself out. Look at verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Says, I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites. How they have taunted my people and made boast against their territory. In verse nine, therefore, I as I live, God says, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, the land possessed by nettles and salt pits and waste forever. The remnants of my people shall plunder them. You see the God, these people, Ammon and Moab, living and taunting and reviling and boasting against other people, specifically God's people. And then we move to verse 10. And in verse 10, what do we see? We see their pride in showing up there. They shall, this shall be their lot in return for their pride because they've taunted and boasted. There it is again. They live As if they are above other people. And then the understanding of human sin starts to really take root in verse 15. Okay? This is where I think we really uh, can really hit home. That sin is not merely bad behavior. Verse 15. This is the exultant city that lived securely and said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. If you define human sinfulness as basically wanting to be God yourself and taking God and and seeing if he's off his throne or rebelling in some way, thinking you are God, this verse defines human sinfulness, doesn't it? The exultant city that's basically saying in their heart, I've got it, and no one else can touch me. The arrogance of the human heart starts to play out but it's interesting. How does security start to show up in your life and become your God? His people in verse three, uh, chapter three, verse uh, verses one and two. Uh, you know, woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. I think oftentimes we think sin is really, really bad behavior. And God is speaking a different message. Yeah, sure, he doesn't approve of and doesn't say, you know, even a a pass on on behavior. But the the idea of the rebellion of the human heart is that we think we can live on our own. We think uh, that we don't need to be uh, corrected. We don't trust in the Lord. We don't draw near to him. It goes on and on and on. And why is God writing this passage? If we skip down to that second, uh, that second point, is that God's character is revealed through judgment. He is doing that. He is saying these things so that you and I understand who he is and we can respond accordingly. Verse 2 is a really interesting uh, plea Before the decree takes effect, basically before this day comes, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, before that happens. So if you're sitting here, this is God's word to you. It's God's word to me. Are you sitting there presuming as if God's patience is going to continue forever God is saying, before you meet me in my wrath and my power over sin, before that happens, verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Just leave that up there for a second. How do you respond to the the, the bold move of God against sin? Is seek the Lord. Humble yourself. Hit your face before him. Why? Because that's the only way to his grace. If you think his grace can be brought about by your good behavior, by you sitting in church, whatever it is you think that you can garner God's mercy in in his grace, you can't. There's nothing in you and nothing in me that can do, that make God feel like we deserve his grace. Quite the opposite. We deserve his wrath. And he says, seek the Lord and humble yourself. Seek ra- righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. You know, you hear the, the scriptures talk about God hiding his people. You know, Todd read earlier about it being under the shelter of his wings. To be hidden in the things of God. We would say maybe from outside pressures, but you could say we are hidden. God hides us from his own wrath. In a sense, who are you being saved from? God. Now, we, we have n- barely any category for that. But we're being saved from God's wrath so that we can experience the acceptance and the love as sons and daughters of the king, where he brings us to the table when we deserve to get kicked out of the kingdom, or even worse, uh, even worse, executed for high treason. The, the character of God shows up in judgment, when he says, seek me, because I am gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity in transgression and sin. So it's interesting in that his, his mercy shows up when we start talking about judgment. Yet the rest of that, that verse, and uh, that's really Exodus 34, is that he will by no means leave or clear the guilty. He will by no means clear the guilty. Yet he loves to forgive. So it's not that he just winks at sin and passes it by. How does he bring? How does he bring us to the point where he hides us in his wing? Is in that his faithfulness shows up to his people. Now, I skipped over about twenty minutes of stuff I had. So, uh, but because we need to get to the table. We need to get to the table to see the judgment of God not fall on his people, but fall on his son. We need to see that. We need to experience it. These are tangible signs that we can see, we can taste, we can, we can touch them. Why? Because they're reminder, tangible, tactile reminders of the grace of God of God, because God's faithfulness to his people shows up in this word remnant, okay? We're going we're to pick this up next week for sure, but the idea of the remnant is a small group of people among the nation of Israel that are actually faithful to God. Catch that for a second. A small group of people inside the nation of Israel that are actually faithful to God. The scriptures talk about that group of people, the remnant, as true Israel. That means something for our Sunday school class with Reformed Eschatology. That what we see with our eyes, maybe those who are gathered in a church, might not be people who are actually trusting in Christ for salvation. Visible People in a church does not equal the people who are trusting God and following after him. There is a sense where there is a smaller number inside the visible church that are truly trusting in him. Hence, the remnant, the people God will preserve even when he moves in judgment against Judah, uh, that, that chosen nation of God. So my question to you is, are you sitting here thinking that sitting here gets you something? It doesn't. I love that you're here, but sorry, get no credit. Are you here, sitting here, or are you truly one who is trusting in Christ for salvation? Because if the remnant is those who trust and remain faithful to God, you're going to say, wait a second, oftentimes I am unfaithful to God. Oftentimes I don't trust him fully. So are all of us doomed? And what you get is that there is only one really true Israelite. There is only one who has fulfilled the law. There is only one who lived as we ought to live as God's people. There is only one who has remained faithful to the Father, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can be the remnant of God's people because there is a true Israelite who has actually done what we cannot do. And then not only that, but he went to the cross to bear up under the punishment and the wrath of God that we deserved for not doing what we should have done. And then he rises from the dead so that you and I can have life. That's the gospel. Are you one who trusts in the living God? One who trusts in Christ for salvation? Because without that, you might be sitting in the visible people of God but yet not being the people of God. And if that just stirred a question in your mind of, am I in that group? Please find me after the service. Please find one of the elders. We would love to explain to you how do you truly know the living God and not just sit in church. How God's people could be in the nation of Israel, but yet not be true Israel. Because God loves to save his people, but he saves us by his grace. And how is that grace found? We're going to experience it at the table. Let's pray. Father, I ask that, uh, that you would uh, take all of these different things. Um, Father, for me, a too quick run through Zephaniah 2. God, would your word carry the day? Would your word of your move against sin, in your, in your judgment against sin, God, would we uh, would we understand you in a, in a new way? Would we understand your grace in a new way that that's what we deserve? Father, that you don't take our sin lightly, and we ought not either. God, we're prideful. We think we live securely. We have, we have no need of correction God, how many different ways do we live as if you are not God? Father, would you bring, uh, would you forgive us for that? Would you bring us to a place of humility over those things? That we would seek you, seek the Lord while you may be found. Father, I pray that before that day, before the day of your anger and your wrath, God, I pray that we would seek you, that we would humble ourselves before you. God, that you would save us. Uh, by Jesus. Save us by his righteousness. Save us by his faithfulness. God, that we would be brought into your presence. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.